listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast. Your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kai. And I'm Tim. Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. I feel like we're getting a little bit of Pacific Northwest weather here in Northern California. It's finally cooling off down here in LA too. So our beer choice today is uh, going to be something a little more winter inspired. Uh, we are drinking Fort George's Cavatica Stout. It is a uh, 16 ounce can. Most stuff actually coming out of Fort George is canned like this. It is a 8.8 ABV beer uh, just in a one, one pint can. And uh, it's a stout uh, that I have had only once before in uh, in my time, my amazing, illustrious time going to uh, Fort George out of Astoria, Oregon. And uh, I'm really happy that this was available in a Tavor shipment recently. And I, I thank you, Tim, so much for getting me this one. Oh, of course. No problem. How could I pass it up? I know your uh, your love of Fort George. It's been four years, actually, since I've had this. So I guess Fort years ago uh i i had this beer <laughs> i have never had this one and i haven't really had uh nearly as much from fort george as you and it's a place that every time i do have something um either from tavor or something you may pick up when you travel up there um it's always really really tasty uh this beer they actually describe as mighty bold and black as night our house stout has gained a reputation for being contagious among the locals this is no dry Irish anything, rather a strapping American double stout with a sweet undertow and addictive hint of roasty goodness. Now, why why Cavatica is really what I'm is that is that how you would pronounce it? Cavatica? Um, it sounds kind of like it would be a font choice somewhere on a Mac <laughs> or, you know, like I I'm just really surprised that there isn't an image of a spider on the can. I, I think that would be kind of off putting for some people. True. But you see, if you look at the can there that I w- actually just figured this out a little bit ago that the pattern on there is actually a web. Well, yeah. Yeah. There's no there, it, it does look like a web. Did it look kind of like the the 50 cent album cover? Like oh the with, shattered glass with him with his chest and the yeah and the shattered glass yeah it kind of looks like that as well but uh, <laughs> well no according to the uh, according to Fort George's website the name actually honors the brewer's affinity uh, with literary arachnids uh, specifically Charlotte A Cavatica the eight legged character from E B White Charlotte's Web so this is in honor of Charlotte and a fun interesting note too is that the Latin root of Cavatica is cave crevice or a dark place. And they say just as a stout should be. Mm, yeah, exactly. Well, more surprisingly, I think I didn't know that Charlotte from Charlotte's Web had a full name. So that's pretty impressive. Uh, <laughs> deep research. If you learn one thing from this podcast, it's that Charlotte from Charlotte's Web has a full name. It's been so long since I've read that that I don't remember if it actually mentions it. But I'm sure that's one that will come up in um, eventual reading with my kiddos. So I'll have to keep an eye out for it. All right, this one pours dark, very dark, as you would expect from a stout. I've got a really nice, um, really nice, like, quarter, what's that, probably like almost a half inch of um, mocha-looking foam. Came out nice, um, nice and smooth. I would say not a lot on the nose. Um, Maybe a tiny bit of, like, roast, uh, coffee, Um, no chocolate. I, I don't get, like, any, any sort of, uh, super overwhelming chocolate, uh, like I did from KBS last time. Um, 
this is leaning more towards that coffee roast than the like sweet chocolate. I do get like a little hint of sweetness, but definitely not a chocolatey sort of um, aroma. Granted, I'm probably not the best person to give you the aroma details because I am a bit congested and I'm not getting smells of just about anything Uh right now. Um, But (laughs) the roastiness definitely stands out. And having just had a cup of coffee earlier, um, it's kind of still playing that same uh, that same note. Yeah, I think the strange part for me is that um, it's it smells really, really cold. Uh, it smells just kind of like the ocean at the moment. And I may be traveling uh, body and soul back to Astoria uh, by by smelling this beer uh, because they <laughs> they likely were brewing batches while I was there. Um, and more than anything, it's just a, a, a bit, a little hit of nostalgia. Um, mine may do a little better as it warms up. I was, I kept it around like 35 degrees, uh, Fahrenheit. So we'll, we'll see as it warms up really kind of how complex it gets and, and, uh, how it changes. But this is one of those, uh, readily available stouts from Fort George. Um, they barrel age this. They, you know, do a lot of other creative things with it. But this is just sort of their like go to available at Fred Meyer type stout. And uh, and I'm really glad that that Tavor had that on in stock. Yeah, I agree. It was uh, it was cool to see it. And I it was one of those things where I got the push notification. I was like, OK, getting this, Kyle, I'm grabbing one for you. Good to go. Yep. Um, mine is finally mine. Mine's already a bit warm because it, I was letting it sit out on my desk because it had become a slush. Um, for those of you that haven't used the paper towel freezer trick, um, it, I've used it twice now and only 30 minutes in the freezer here at the office and it basically starts to turn slush. So you basically you get a wet mm. paper towel, wrap it around your bottle or can, toss it in the freezer, um, and it just flash cools it. So if you're in a hurry to get something cold, that is a really good way. Just be careful because you probably only need like 15 or 20 minutes. So I left it in there for 30 and I had to like, the the paper towel was basically an ice sheet around the can at that point. So it's warming up now. Um, and I, I don't, I, I don't really get anything sweet off of this. Granted, um, you know, they say with a sweet undertow there, there's a little bit in there. Um, again, might be affected by my, uh, breathing limitations, but it, um, it's definitely got roasty and a bit of bitterness. It seems that the bitterness is pretty well balanced with the the roastiness and that sort of the uh, malt character. It is, I would say, a very hop forward uh, stout. If you haven't had one that's kind of so uh, bright and and uh, you know sort of a on the lighter end of of a stout, this is a really great one to try. Um, it only comes in at 30 IBUs, though. And so it's kind of, you know, on on the lower end of maybe like a bitterness of a pale ale um, or or somewhere around there. Um, but it's a very I would say if I had one word to describe this stout, it is balanced. Yeah, that seems like a very good way to describe it, because you get you get um, the bitter and the roast um, coffee thing really hits you when you first take a sip. And then it mellows as um, it lingers. And then you get that little bit of the um, kind of malted sweetness at the end there. So it all it all flows really smoothly. And just a beautiful color, I would say. Uh, pouring it into this tulip glass I have here. 
Um, <laughs> it feels like it adds a little bit of class to the the 16 ounce can. Although I love Fort George's branding, obviously I'm a I'm a huge fan of theirs, uh, as we have all heard on the podcast. Uh, I do like enjoying this in its own sort of vessel, its own beautiful glass. Yeah, definitely not one to um, drink out of the can, although you could. Um, I feel like getting it out and experiencing the entire, just all the senses of it uh, is the best way to go here. It's a sipper, you know? Have any of you had this one? Let us know what you thought on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram by tagging us at Untapped. All right, let's move on to our style of the week segment and take a look at this week's feature beer style. Here's Tim with more. So I've heard the term table beer used here and there, but I've never really understood what it was. Have you heard Have you heard anybody use that um, term before? Uh, I think mm, the most familiar I am with it is um, Good Beer. The Good Beer Company out of Santa Ana, California has a like table beer that they, I believe make as a blend of numerous saisons. Um, it is supposedly like an open fermentation type beer, mm. uh, just meant to sort of be more like a uh, a French table wine type thing. Um, easy drinking, kind of always uh, pairs with everything and uh, is really approachable uh, for a beer. I don't know if that's <laughs> what a, a table beer is going to end up being for you uh or actually for this this particular style but that's kind of all i've ever uh come in contact with before well that's that's way more than i've ever had contact with it so you you you're right on going down right the right path there um i i did a bit of research and the results i found were actually pretty interesting um so this week we're going to take a look at the history of the table beer which believe it or not is actually a style of beer as opposed to just being a beer sitting on a table. But, um, <laughs> so small beer, which is also known as small ale or table beer. Um, it's a lager or an ale that contains a low amount of alcohol by volume, um, than other beers, typically between 0.5% to 2.8%. Um, I did do some research on like the top table beers on untapped and modern table beers tend to be, uh, looking like between 3.5 and 4.5 ish. So they're a little higher now, um, but that's, you know, kind of the standard based off of the kind of origins here. So before the 19th century, as we've discussed numerous times in the past, drinking water really had the potential to make someone sick um, because of poor sanitation. You know, modern sewer systems didn't exist and your drinking water and your bad water all kind of ran into the same area. Uh, so at this time, practical experience really showed that fermented beverages were less likely to produce illness, which is why in that time frame, more beer was drank than water. Um, at mealtime in the Middle Ages, everyone could drink small beer, including children, while eating meals at the table. Um, sometimes small beer is unfiltered and porridge-like, and it was really a favorite drink in medieval Europe and colonial North America. Kind of just like a fermented mash of sorts that... Uh killed whatever bacteria was was in there to make the water sanitized. And, yeah, you know, the flavor and the beer-like qualities were just sort of like a side effect to that. That's really interesting. Exactly. And fermented beverages go back, obviously, 
way, 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 way long. But in this time, um, it, it was the best way for people to drink something that wasn't going to kill them. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. In the 18th century, England, actually, they implemented three tax classes on beer. Then this is what really gave birth to the term table beer. Uh, these three class definitions uh, were strong, table, and small, and each designation and each designation affected the beer's wholesale price. Um, strong beer had more alcohol, was more expensive, and taxed at the highest rate. Table beer, whose alcohol volume by content might range, again, between like 2.75 and 4% for this example, at the time was taxed at a lesser rate. At a time when you had a lot of poorer class citizens, uh, you're looking to get whatever you can for the cheapest you can. So that's where table and small beer really kind of came into play, especially if you can't just go down to the stream or well and pick up some water. Well, and if they're taxed at a much lesser rate, it's likely that uh, places that do create this type of stuff are going to create more and more of that. So they are not having to incur those those types of you know super high taxation rates. Exactly. And it, it was common for workers who engaged in heavy physical labor to actually drink more than 10 imperial pints, which is 5.7 liters of small beer during a work day to quench their thirst. Oh, all right. It's the old. It's like the ultimate session beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like the idea, though, of just, you know, you got three categories. Boy, small, <laughs> big, small and medium, I guess. If I chose my beers like I chose my T-shirts, uh, you know, Untapped would be a, a much, a much simpler place, I think. You might need some bigger T-shirts, too. True. Yes. My, yeah, small doesn't fit very well. Small beer was actually also drunk for its nutrition content. Um, it might even have bits of wheat or bread suspended in it because uh, being unfiltered or, um, you know, made with uh, more rudimentary ingredients, there was still a bit left over that could provide a bit of nutrients. That, that is kind of taking unfiltered to the next level. That is, if you still have chunks of toast in there, uh, I don't think that's what they, I don't think that's what toast intended, but uh, it sounds interesting you know it's sort of like it, it is kind of the second class citizen to bread itself you know bread is kind of a luxury at this time as well where the beverages created by the fermentation of leftover stuff is the only thing that you can afford and the only thing that you can get your nutritional sustenance from well plus also small beer was seen as acceptable in 18th century europe because it's low con or it's low alcohol content allowed people to drink several glasses without becoming intoxicated so it's it's kind of like middle-aged millennials i guess middle ages millennials middle i i'm searching for the joke i'm grasping at the joke but i can't i can't find it History is repeating itself with the uh, millennial crave craving for uh, not being as intoxicated. I, I, I follow what you're saying there. Yeah. It's looping back around. It became uh, increasingly popular during the 19th century, actually displacing malt liquor as the drink of choice for families and servants. Um, it, again, I, the big interesting thing that I took away from it uh, was due to the lack of water, everyone drank this, including the families, the servants and the children. And that's just super funny to imagine like, okay, here's your table beer at 1%. Enjoy out of a sippy cup or something, you know, granted sippy cups didn't exist then, but still kind of a funny, kind of funny picture there. <laughs> yeah. It, I think just out of, out of necessity, right? It's, it's the kind of thing that um, may to us, it seems like some sort of unifying uh, and, and, or like, uh, it, culturally uh, specific thing to 
you know, hey, everyone was doing this. Uh, but it, when, in fact, likely there were even greater divides between those, you know, different classes and castes and stuff like that during that time. So it's hard to hard to say that, you know, beer is a great unifier uh, back in those days. But for sure, I believe that it's it's gone from both sort of like a working beverage and and something that you drank out of necessity to something that truly does unify people these days. So at least we're checking that box. Uh, according to Beer Advocate, actually, an article over there, the table beer classification disappeared in 1830 when the taxation shifted from the finished beer to malt and hops that are used. So basically, instead of taxing based off of the strength of the beer, they just started taxing the ingredients. And at that point, that delineation of strong table and small really kind of went out the door. But, you know, for a while, low ABV beers continued to be brewed under the name of table beer, especially in Scotland, um, until they gradually dwindled away towards the end of the 19th century. So another one of those styles that was very popular, mostly out of necessity, um, and then eventually kind of dwindled as, um, you know, modernization happened and different beer styles started picking up. And as you said, you know, we're starting to see it kind of, I don't want to say it's making a comeback, but it's still being produced today by, you know, craft breweries around the world. Another interesting take on it, too, is that small beer and small ale can also be referred to as beer made of the second runnings from a very strong beer. So the idea here is that uh, you you basically you brew a very strong, strong beer um, and then you use the same mash to brew a second batch, um, which obviously, since the mash has been used, you're not going to get as much oomph out of it. Right. So you then create kind of a secondary small beer from it. And, you know, they could be as strong as a mild ale, depending on the strength of the original mash. So, for example, if you if you brew uh, something that's going to be extremely high ABV and then you do a secondary off of that, you're going to probably be a bit higher as opposed to doing like a, you know, an 8% and then brewing off of that and probably getting something way smaller. Yeah, uh, this is something that I do uh, with my tea um usually where you know the the first batch of tea that you brew is is real real strong and then you just kind of add more hot water to it and get a a a less strong brew from it uh but you still kind of get some of the flavor um i also do this when making dashi uh there's a specific word for i'm going to see if i can look it up but there's a specific word for the second draw of dashi Niban dashi. It means the second dashi, and it's a lighter dashi uh, using just the the remnants of the first. So that's a that's sort of a, a common practice where you take you know that's that's already spent material and uh, find another use for it, which I think is kind of cool. You know, it's it kind of goes with what we've been talking about about sustainability and uh, finding a use for the spent grains and and things like that you can either send it to uh to cows to be noshed on or you can (laughs) brew another beer with it which i think is kind of cool yeah and uh obviously at the time in england in the 18th century it was done mostly out of the economic factor because it's at a time obviously when i'm gonna guess that you know taxation was high and brewing was not as uh, efficient and you wanted to cut corners and save as much as you could as you you know went about it but it is still actually happening today uh, one example is uh, san francisco's anchor brewing company um, they produce something called anchor small beer using the second runnings of their old foghorn barley wine um, i haven't actually seen that beer 
I don't know if it's distributed or in their tap room or if it's still actually made. I've seen foghorn around, um, but it's interesting that you get that idea like, okay, so they made a barley wine and they use the same stuff and they get a smaller beer out of it. Um, in Belgium, table beer is actually still um, being brewed in many varieties uh, today. Interesting. So if you uh, make a trip out there again, you can kind of take a look at see if there are any table beers around. I know, table, like I said, table wine is something. I want to also correct a statement I made about the good beer companies, uh, table beer that I had had before. Uh, one, haven't had it. I've only seen it on shelves. And two, it's called Table Pale. Um, it was a regionally distributed beer, obviously, very California-centric, but um, it was a pale ale that came in at 4% ABV. So not an open fermentation uh, saison, but figure I would get that correction in there because why not? That way we don't have to issue it next week. This is very interesting. I... I like the idea again, like I think I'm I'm pretty hot on the the idea of uh, taking a second mash. The, the idea also of utilizing um, sort of uh, spent barrels in in the process of making beer is along these same lines where you are taking something that had one use beforehand and are applying it to the creation of another product and sort of Im- imparting those qualities to to a new beverage. It's just kind of a cool, you know, reuse, recycle, reuse that that whole shtick. Uh, well, I like I like the idea a lot. It's also interesting to think like, okay, what what can you get out of it? Because you know what you're making the first time around, and then you have these leftovers. It's it's like a it's like a leftovers night at home for dinner. You're like, okay, well, I got a little of this and a little of that. What can I make out of it? And there's a bit of creativity that goes into that. And I think that's kind of interesting, even though maybe not quite the same for this beer process. But I I like to think that's kind of how it goes. All right. So taking a look at the uh, top rated beers in this style over on Untapped, uh, we've got, let's see, not that many check-ins, to be quite honest. Um, Some standouts, I would say, probably come from the folks over at Half Acre. their life on land table beer. They say a wild table beer with a Y in it. Uh, 3.9% ABV, 410 ratings. I like this one right above it. It's got uh, 2,400 check-ins. Uh, Northern Lights from Whiplash Brewing. Uh, it's a 2.5% ABV micro IPA, in quotes, in the description. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Love that. Love I have not that. heard that one before. That's good. There's actually a low alcohol version of a 5% uh, milkshake IPA in here that's coming in. It's mini milkshake from Wander Beyond Brewing uh, at 3%. So a 3% milkshake IPA. There you go, Kyle. That's that's my jam right there. I love, though, that, that they're adding like these micro IPA and nano milkshake IPA and just <laughs> like trying to minify these beers is is very cute. It's very yeah, cute. Yeah, definitely. I like it. Um, And this is one of those, again, one of those styles like I don't see very often, uh, but I can see how it would really fit in in a world, again, like you said, where we're looking for lower alcohol, um, slightly more health conscious, um, you know, socially conscious and uh, just something that isn't just out there to hammer you in the head and you can kind of enjoy over the course of a day. And, you know, there's been a big resurgence, I think, uh, in the idea of session IPAs, which are pretty low in the ABV range, probably about the same as a lot of these uh, that we're looking at. Granted, I mean, there's 2.6 and 
3.8. So that's a bit lower than some of the session IPAs I've seen. But it's really interesting to see and something that I would definitely keep an eye out for. You can also keep an eye out for this Imperial Table Beer oh, by Merritt Brewing gosh. Company. It comes in at 6.4% ABV. Uh, I love looking at these top lists here on Untapped. We'll put them in the show notes so you can take a look as well. Um, but it really kind of does help to showcase the breadth of this style and all of the different types of beer that can uh, be encapsulated in just, you know, under the title of table beer. It's, it's pretty cool to see. Well, we haven't heard from our friend uh, John Holzer from the Four Brewers podcast in a while, but thankfully he's back with some more great homebrewing tips and tricks for you. Here's John with more. Hey everyone, John here from Four Brewers, and I'm back with some more homebrew tips. And today I've got my top five safety tips for homebrewers. Safety tip number one. When you're using an Erlenmeyer flask to make your yeast starter on a range top, add all the ingredients before the wort is boiling to avoid an instant messy explosion of hot, sticky wort all over your stove. Trust me, I've been there. It's not fun. Cleaning sticky, sugary wort off your stove and your range top is a huge pain in the butt. So add everything before. Again, add everything before. Otherwise, you'll regret it. Safety tip number two. The same thing applies similarly to adding your first hop addition to your boil. When you get the beer to a boil and let it boil for about 10 minutes, you want to turn your flame way down and slowly add in your hops. If you add in your hops all at once, you risk having a boil over and that's not good. Also, when you're adding additions during your boil, you want to turn the heat down a little bit, slowly add your hop additions, stir them in, make sure everything's cool, and keep on going. Safety tip number three, wear proper footwear. I see so many photos of people brewing in their garage wearing sandals, and I just cringe at the thought of getting hot wort on my feet. If you're making a small batch of beer on your stovetop, likely this is not going to happen to you. But if you're brewing a 15-gallon batch of beer in your garage inside of a kegel, you most definitely could get some wort on your feet, some hot wort on your feet. So wear some shoes. They don't have to be anything fancy. If you want to wear something fancy, you can step it up and get some shoes with like an anti-slip sole. Or if you want to go one step further, get some rubber boots. The cool thing about rubber boots is they'll protect your feet. They go up to your knees, so they'll protect the bottom part of your leg. And when you're cleaning everything, you won't get your feet wet. So that's what I use. I use rubber boots. Safety tip number four, don't drink too much and stay hydrated. Now, I'm guilty of this myself. It's really fun to drink beers while you're making a batch of homebrew. But as Charlie Papazian says, relax, don't worry, and have a homebrew, right? But keep it in check. Stay hydrated. Make sure you're watching what you drink. Drink lighter alcohol beers. You don't want to be totally trashed by the time you're done brewing because nine times out of 10 when you are, you don't want to clean up afterwards and then you got to do it the next day. So pace yourself, have fun, and stay hydrated. Safety tip number five pertains to lifting. Early in my homebrew days when I started doing 10-gallon batches, I would sparge into a pot or my kettle that was on the floor from my igloo cooler and by the time I was done, it would have roughly 12 gallons of, of wort in it that I had to boil. Well, I had to take that and put it on a table. And moving a giant kettle by yourself that's full of wort, you know, wort that's around 160 degrees, uh, that's not fun. And uh, a few times I almost spilled it all over myself. And while you won't get burned from that necessarily, 
again, you're making a huge mess and you might hurt your back. So when you're doing things like lifting up those kettles to put on a burner or emptying a mash tun that's, you know, got 40 pounds of wet grain in it, you want to get someone to help you out because hurting your back is something you definitely don't want to end your brew day with. So those are my top five safety tips for home brewers. Safety is typically not something home brewers think about. It's something you need to actually think about, you know, get some, get some good gloves, some nice heavy duty gloves because you're working around hot liquid, hot materials, get some good boots, keep them on, stay hydrated, but most of all, have fun. <laughs> we'll see you next time. You can catch more from John and the whole Four Brewers crew over at fourbrewers.com or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to show off your love of Untapped? Check out our online store and pick up Untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. You go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code PODCAST at checkout. You'll get 20% off all orders. Again, that's store.untapped.com coupon code PODCAST to get 20% off. All right, let's look at some of the interesting beer articles that we have found this week. Uh, so our first article is coming to us from thefullpint.com. Um, that is a great beer resource. I believe they're celebrating their 10th anniversary. Yeah, they they had a uh, a beer come out for that as well. They worked with many breweries, actually, to... Um, oh, 11th anniversary. So it's their 11th anniversary this year, and they worked with quite a few breweries to actually release a bunch of different collaborations throughout the year. Um, their most recent one was actually with Bottle Logic, the Mega Powers like cookie stout, which sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. But anyway, they're a great resource um, for beer news. Um, they have their own podcast too. Not that you should not listen to us or anything, but just a just a plug because it's a really <laughs> great resource run by some really great people. Um, many of whom are down here in the LA area. So just a shout out to them. But this article here, it's great because you know. We're done with Thanksgiving. We're almost done with November. We're moving on to December, and the holidays are just going to continue going. So they have an article here called The Perfect Non-Holiday Beers for the Holidays. Just for those of you who may be looking for something that isn't a Christmas ale or a seasonal, uh, but still, you know, want to find something good. This is going to be another one of those segments that is, has Kyle had this? We'll play a game and see whether or not Kyle has had this one. and. uh the the answer is always no. If you're if you're playing along at home, the answer is always no. I don't think I think you're gonna have a little bit of a success on this one. Okay. So the first one up here they have is Orville, uh, which is actually a uh, Belgian beer coming from uh, Brasserie de Orville. Uh, it's a six point two percent Belgian pale ale. And they say here. Oh, well, first before you get into it, have you had this one? Nope. Okay, me neither. Uh, they say, uh, like great wine, Orville ages quite well. A little time in the bottle allows the Brettanomyces to build a bit more funk and complexity. If you can't find an aged bottle, no worries. Drink it fresh and enjoy the bright flavors of a nice hot punch. Sounds really, really good. It does sound really good. And they also say here that Orville is one of those beers that I love, but just don't drink enough. It's fancy. And if you're looking for a champagne alternative, this beer is perfect for your next holiday toast. The next one up here is Odell Brewing Mercenary Double IPA. Have you had this one? I have indeed had this one. So if you're <laughs> playing along at home, mark that one on your bingo card. Uh, I had this back in April of 2013. 
at the uh, Wishing Well and Such. So wherever that is. <laughs> I, I have not had this one, although I have seen it around. I guess I just have never actually had it, which is interesting. Uh, this is a 9.3% ABV double IPA, and it's a great choice to relax during the hectic holiday season. So if you're if you're worried about your shopping or getting your decorations done or trying to get everything in order for the family coming into town and you just take a break, crack open this 9.3% double IPA and just relax. Yeah, I said in, uh, in my check-in, super smooth. I must have been pretty impressed. Uh, the next one up here we have is Firestone Walker Anniversary. The well, I guess it's hard to say because they're referring to all of the anniversaries. Uh, have you had any of them? I've only had the Firestone 21 anniversary ale. This is their 11.8% ABV uh, beer, chocolatey, uh, velvet merkin takes the lead, settling the whatever chocolatey, you know, magical blend. They say uh, I had this one back in March of this year. Um, and seem to like it quite a bit. This is the only Firestone anniversary, however, that I have ever had. Mm, interesting. Yeah, they they say the current version here is 22. Um, it was released in November. Uh, this. So if you don't know about Firestone Walker's anniversary beer, it's basically a magical blend of a lot of their very high ABV beers. Um, for this year, it's 44% Sticky Monkey, 22% Parabola, 22% Bravo, and 7% Heldorado Rum Barrel, and also 5% Heldorado Gin Barrel. Well, it's just like a giant equation of let's pour a little more, let's pour a little more, and then see where it sticks. Good night. Yeah, exactly. Um, I actually, looking in the box of random beers we have here in the office, I have a 20, a 21, and a 15 still. Hmm. All right. They say this great. This is a great beer to wind down with after a busy day of holiday shopping or entertaining. Um, and again, this year's is coming in at 12.7%. So definitely a wind down and relax kind of drink right there. The next one on the list is Sante Adarius from West Ashley. Now, have you had this one or ever even heard of West Ashley? I have not. I have heard of this brewery um, and had a few beers from them, but not this beer in particular. There are a lot of different batches that are no longer in production, almost nearly as much as uh, the Firestone Walker uh, anniversary batch. But um, yeah, this this looks really good. Yep. Uh, I've actually had one of these uh, before and a friend of mine shared it with a bunch of us in my neighborhood. And it was by far one of the best sour farmhouse-style beers that I've ever had. I don't remember exactly which one it was. I have it written down somewhere. It was one of those ones that I forgot to check in, and now I'm kind of kicking myself for it. They say this is not your ordinary Cezanne, aged in French oak Pinot Noir barrels on apricots and with uh, house microbes. The beer is full of apricots in both the aroma and flavor and a hint of citrus. Perfect amount of farmhouse funk that will kick that mimosa to the curb at your next holiday brunch. Okay. And rounding out the regular list here, they have North Coast Brewing's Old Rasputin. Now, this is a classic. This has been around for forever, at least as long as I've been into uh, craft beer, and it still really stands the test of time. It's a 9% Russian Imperial Stout, and it's just, it's one of those one of those classic stouts that I feel like if you haven't had it, you have to, and it's shocking that you haven't yet. I am embarrassed to say oh, I never had this one. You should be. I know. They say in the article here, both a classic and a stunning version of a Russian Imperial Stout, 
perfect for relaxing by the fire with a few close friends, celebrating the survival of the holidays, or just regrouping for the next wave. That's a really perfect way to describe it. This is a great pour it out and enjoy by the fireplace um, kind of a beer. Mm. Sipper. Sounds good. And they actually, they have one last beer here. They give it a little headline saying the holiday exception. So the idea was beers to have during the holidays aren't necessarily holiday beers, but they do make an exception here for Sierra Nevada's Celebration Ale. That's their, um, that dry, the um, the single hop Celebration Ale. Uh, this is one of my mm-hmm. favorite year round, like seasonals that ever comes out. I pick it up every year and it really indicates that transition into the holiday season for me. Uh, especially during a season when everyone's going for like darker, uh, warmer, I, the, this is just, I can't, I can't really put into words how perfect this beer is to me. Yeah. I've had, uh, I've at least checked into the 2012 and 2013, uh, vintages of this particular beer, but likely I have had one of them every year since then. Um, it's just kind of like a, like you said, a, a holiday staple, something that you're, uh, likely just going to crack into no matter what and i do i retract i said single hop in there and that's not i meant to say i believe dry hop um but it's uh this holiday ipa includes the classics cascade centennial and chinook um and all of these hops are whole cone and fresh from the current harvest um it's hopped closer to a west coast ipa but it also has a great malt bill that gives the beer a robust mouthfeel without being too bready or sweet and i really think that's that's the way to, to put it it's it's an ipa um, or I guess a pale ale, but it's got that really good hoppy bite to it, but it's really even and it's not overwhelming. Um, and they say here, if you are an IPA drinker and not enjoying this beer during the holidays, you are missing out. Do yourself a favor and hide a few to enjoy once the family leaves. Plus right now it is the number three global top beer at the moment, and it is getting a whole bunch of check-ins. So if you haven't had this one before, Highly, highly recommended. I, I've already jammed through a six pack of this in the last month. So, <laughs> yes, this is it's, it's high on my list too. And funny enough, too, I uh, while I was looking to pick up, uh, grab my beer from my home fridge to bring in for today's show, uh, in the back I saw the little red label that's very distinctive. And for some reason, I actually still have a 2011 bottle of Celebration Ale. Now that is not going to be very fresh, but I found it hilarious that I still had it hidden back there. I guess I forgot it and I'm kind of sad. <laughs> uh, I guess the the fridge clearing party we had a while back did not actually clean that fridge, huh? No. Well, at least not my home fridge. That was the, uh, the office fridge. <laughs> Our next article is coming to us from foodandwine.com. This one uh, it makes me happy. It sounds like it's going to make you pretty happy. Arby sells a Miller High Life beer can chicken sandwich. Now, I've never actually made beer can chicken. Have you? Not in the, if you can say traditional way, not in the like shove a full beer can inside of a chicken upright and and cook it kind of way. I've cooked chicken with beer before, but not like whole like that, if that makes sense. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know what beer can chicken is, basically you take a half full can of beer you position it within the turkey in the most un- or chicken within the most uncomfortable way you could imagine, and then you cook it standing upright. Uh, and it, you know, a lot of that um, the beer essence and the moisture really gets in there while you're cooking it, and it's supposed to be really delicious. 
But in this case, uh, Arby's has been taking their We Have the Meat slogan very seriously lately. Last month, they added a sous vide duck breast sandwich to their menu. Hmm, that's interesting. And in 2017, Arby's became famous, uh, became the first fast food chain to offer a venison sandwich nationwide. So with that dedication to sandwich innovation in mind, the chain is testing a new beer can chicken. Uh, and the beer being used to make it is none other than Miller High Life, a brand that, by the way, is currently offering its champagne of beers in an actual champagne bottle for the holidays, which we actually discussed um, two episodes ago. A spokesperson for Arby's said the sandwich actually comes in two forms. The original beer can chicken sandwich, which features beer marinated smoked chicken with melted cheddar cheese, crispy onions, pepper, bacon, lettuce, tomato, and garlic aioli on a toasted specialty roll. Mm. Okay, see, I think that's more in line with how I have cooked it before, like beer marinated chicken, and then you smoke it. It's not necessarily like uh, <laughs> utilizing the can as the the uh, cooking liquid while it's cooking, if that makes sense. It's more like, you know, you use it for a marinade and it kind of infuses the flavor prior to cooking. I don't think we'll know the true answer to that unless you go into the Arby's kitchen. And I don't know that I want to do that because I feel like it would ruin, potentially ruin Arby's for me. <laughs> it might ruin the, uh, the, the quote unquote magic that they have brewing back there. Yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. Or, you know, if you're also feeling a little, uh, a little extreme, you can opt for the tall boy sandwich, which is the same as the aforementioned option, except that uh, in true Arby's fashion, uh, it also adds pit smoked ham and a crispy chicken filet into the mix. Holy crap. That's a lot. That's a lot of chicken. That's a lot of meat. I mean, they do indeed, I guess, have the meats. So I should just say I love talking about fast food i love seeing the trends of fast food and i love also seeing when beer specifically is used especially when it's in conjunction with a major uh national brand things like you know beer cheese at carl's jr or saying that you have quote-unquote beer can chicken at arby's um it's taking these very like specifically barbecue cookout slash american culture icons and applying them to new fast food trends. It's interesting. And I am typically uh, the one, the first one to say, yes, I'll go try this at least once. I'll try anything once. Yeah, this this is uh, something that is right down my alley for sure. Uh, unfortunately, unless it uh, gains popularity, you aren't going to be able to try it yet. Uh, the chain's testing the sandwiches in three different markets, uh, Minneapolis, uh, Augusta, and Tulsa. Um, and it's going to remain on menus until December 23rd. So if you are in any of those cities, you only have until almost the end of December to try this out. And please uh, do so that it becomes popular and they put it on the menu and we can go track it down out here on the West Coast. Yes, please. Our last article today comes to us from the HoustonChronicle.com. Uh, Houston bar owners launch a line of beers for dogs. Woof, I guess. Yes, indeed. When Megan and Steve Long tell friends and customers about their newest venture, Good Boy Dog Beer, more often than not, they're met with the same three questions. One, is it really for dogs? Yes. Two, is it alcoholic? No. Three, can I drink it? Uh, sure. It's the same sort of uh, answer for number three there that you would probably have for dog food, right? 
can you eat it? Yeah, sure, fine. That's that's all right. I don't know if you'd want to, uh, unless it's some sort of like District Thirteen situation. But I, you know, I. Mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. Well, in this case, the beer doesn't exactly dance on a human palate, thanks to the complete lack of sodium. Uh, But that was never really the intention, because it's a beer for dogs. The Longs, who own Henderson Heights Bar in the 6th Ward and Reserve 101 downtown, what? District 9 situation. District B13 is the one with the parkour guy. District 9, which is another number that's less than 13, is the one with the aliens that like to eat cat food. Yeah. I just want to get the record straight and make sure that that I'm correcting that right now. All right, you got so you got your movies backwards. That's fine. I when you said district and dog food, I knew exactly what you were referring to. So I got you there. You just mixed the numbers up. I'm just thinking about I'm thinking about the aliens doing parkour now and it's I'm waiting for that that sort of uh collaboration to happen. That, we'll that would be pretty cool. Uh, the Longs, who own Henderson Heights Bar in the 6th Ward and Reserve 101 downtown in Houston, they wanted to create a new product that mixed two of their favorite things on the planet, beer and dogs. And they're not pretending to be the first with the idea. Uh, I've seen this done around in quite a few places. Uh, but they do seem to be the first in Houston, a city that has become increasingly dog-friendly in recent years, thanks to the growing number of patio bars willing to let four-legged friends tag along for Sunday fun day. And that Fido forward culture has helped the Longs find immediate success. Within weeks of their launch, all three flavors of their beer, which is IPA. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't read these before I'm going to say them. And I'm already laughing. IP a lot in the yard. Okay. Because IPA a lot. IPA a lot in the yard. <laughs> uh, mailman malt liquor and session squirrel. Are, are available in 15 bars throughout the city, including uh, Front Porch Pub and FM Kitchen and Bar for a recommended price of about $5 a can. It's pretty cool. Pretty, pretty cool. And while they are having a lot of success in the Houston area, they're actually getting requests to ship cans across the country. So it looks like uh, they really stumbled onto something there and uh, hopefully uh, gain a lot of success from this idea. And if you're looking for a, uh, a pet-friendly way to enjoy untapped if you visit uh, any verified venue page uh, in the detail section on that page you'll see whether or not they are a pet friendly venue so that's not obviously not going to mean that they'll have this five dollar can of dog beer but uh, they may uh, be a great place to uh, to bring your pet dog you know what have you support python <laughs> no we just need to wait for the cat version of beer Although, knowing how picky they are, they would not be as into it. I feel like they would be wine drinkers. I don't know. Like They're, they're going to be the wine, the snobby wine drinkers. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Show notes are available at podcast.untapped.com. If you've got any questions for us or you've got some feedback, be sure to connect on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's at Untapped Everywhere. If you'd like to, you can also follow Tim and I on Untapped. I'm at Kyle Roderick on Untapped and Tim is i'm at tim a t-i-m-m-3-h so until next week cheers, cheers.